0: Okay, very good. I'm going to let Connor get back to his booth to um, dial in our sound, okay? I am so glad to be here. I'm obviously not from around here. I'm from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And um, I've been sent over to encourage young pastors because I'm old and I'm retired Connor, that sounds good. All right, thank you, brother. Um, so I've been sent over here to um, encourage young pastors and um, and also to do some research in Southeast England to find out where there are evangelical churches, uh, meaning those churches that want to really get the message. They believe the word and they want to get it out of the walls, basically. That's how we define evangelical. We believe the word, and we're not ashamed of the gospel. We want to tell it. Uh, Linda um, alluded, and also Nush alluded in her prayer this morning before, as we were, before they practiced, about this message going out of here, going out of here. That That is so important. It's important to Andy. It's important to um, to me and to the, the group that I'm with. I'm Baptist, in case you're wondering where I've come from. I'm Southern Baptist from... Uh, and I'm, as I said, I'm, I think I said I'm from Georgia. So, so I've come over for three years, and um, I live down in Oxted, about 18 miles from here. Um, and I am so excited to be in England, I can't stand it. I, um, I wake up every morning, and before I open my eyes, I go, dear God, I, I hope this isn't a dream and I'm back in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> Not that I don't love Atlanta, I love Atlanta. Uh, but, um, I, have just been so blessed to, uh, to be here. My accent is, uh, an excuse for people to say, where are you from? You know, and, and what are you doing here? That kind of thing. And so I get to share the gospel that way, uh, most of the time. I cannot tell you enough about Andy. I mean, I don't know him like a brother, but, um, I'm old enough to be his father, um, wonderful pastor. Love on your pastor and his family. God loves on and blesses the church that loves on their pastor and their family. I'm just telling you. Uh, that's one of the best things on the planet that you can do is to love on your church leadership uh, because you have zero, you know, we really don't have any idea of what goes on behind the scenes and through the week. So I just want to put that plug in because I pastored for 35 years and If it weren't for the faithful in the church praying for me and for my family, we would have have never made it. All right, so let's look at the passage this morning. The the series is blessing through generations, God's blessing through generations. This is the fifth sermon, uh, sixth sermon, I believe, in a seven-sermon series. I don't know if I have the math right, but there's going to be one more sermon, I believe, after this one. And that's going to be wrapping up this this um, wrapping up Genesis actually, and so what we're reading, folks, we're reading about our our family tradition. We're, we're we're reading about our spiritual forefathers. Okay, so when you read this book, when you read these incredible, as Connor said last week, see, I had to go back and to preach this sermon. I had to go back and listen to all five, so I would know what you have been hearing. Um, but as Connor said last week, and because I, I listened online, uh, it, it's been a nightmare. I mean, this family has been a nightmare. This family, the one word that just keeps coming up to me is dysfunctional. I mean, if you've read Genesis, I mean, from the very first family, they break God's rules. They're thrown out of the garden. Uh, Cain kills Abel. I mean, we've got murder in the family from the get-go. So the more I read this, not that there's been murder in my family, but I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but as I read this stuff, as I read uh, Noah and uh, what happened when he got off the boat and then Abraham who lied about Sarah because she was so beautiful and he thought when he went down to Egypt, if I tell them that we're married, they're going to kill me and take you. She must have been a bombshell is all I got to say. There were a lot of beautiful women in the Old Testament apparently. Sarah was beautiful. Uh, so Isaac, okay. There's Abraham and Sarah. Okay, they have Isaac, and Isaac marries Rebecca, and she's drop dead beautiful too. And he does the same thing. There's a famine in the land; they have to go to wherever there's food. And he lies, said, "This is this is my sister, not my wife, but my sister." So we got a bunch of lying going on. And then Sarah, uh, I mean uh, Rebecca and Isaac, they have Jacob and Esau. Jacob. Steals Esau's birthright, his legal, his legal right to, a, to his dad's money, his flocks, his everything. Esau was hungry one day just and said, Look, I'm about to die. Would you fix me some of your soup? He said, uh, Sure, give me your birthright. And so he turns over his birthright for a bowl of soup. A few days later, his mom, his mom Rebecca, says, We need to steal. Esau's blessing. Now your dad's gonna die at some point, and God's gonna—he's gonna put his hand on you. Um, Isaac's gonna put his hand on you, and he's gonna channel into you. And I don't mean to use that the way it's used these days—channeling. I don't. But he says he, God's gonna forward the blessings, all kind of blessings, on you. But I want you to get it. And so they stole it. She took some fur and put it on his arms. And he kind of talked kind of gruffy, and he say rubbed dirt and stuff on him because Esau was a hunter and smelled like the earth and hunting and stuff. Literally stole two things from his brother Esau, and so Esau made a made a pledge: I'm, "Before before I die, I'm going to kill you." So I'm, does dysfunction come come through to you? Are, are you hearing that? I mean, it's just and so we we look into the into the Bible and we don't see these. These um, superheroes, you know, that are pious and they walk on water and they fly around with cape. No, no, they're, they're they're people like us. I mean, I see myself. I see, I see my attitudes and I see my, I see my my selfishness and I see, and that makes me more comfortable to say, you know, these people were real. They had real issues. They had real problems. Wow. Then we get to Jacob. Now Jacob, he is a fraternal twin. Uh, he he was um, his brother came out first, Esau, and then Jacob comes out second, and he has his hand on Esau's foot. Okay, when when they, when they were being born, and so they saw that and thought that was cute, and they said, Well, we'll just name this guy Tripper. He's one who trips people, meaning one who cheats, meaning one who who um, manipulates. I mean, could you could you imagine? Uh, having a name. Uh, well, that, this is my son, Cheater, <laughs> and this is Esau. You know, it's like great day. So, did he grow into his name, or was... Well, what, what we what we do know that that uh, Jacob started his life off. He started his life off uh, listening to his mom, and you know, so it's a generational thing. Jacob gets married, his wife Rachel, before they leave Laban. Before he leaves, they leave Laban, um, uh, he leaves with, with Leah and Rachel. He leaves their father's house to, to go and to do his own thing. Well, Laban chases them down and says, and says, Somebody has stolen our household idols. All right, number one, there's a red flag, idols. And these are Jewish people, you know, shouldn't have idols. But they stole my idols. Well, they found it in Rachel's stuff. I mean, does, it just doesn't quit from there. It just keeps going from there. And then, of course, now, what I'm doing right now, folks, I'm doing a quick little, little catch-up, okay? Because we're going to get right down to this, just a few verses here. But we've, there's got to be a build-up. We've got to understand what, uh, how we got to where we are this morning. So I'm almost done almost done with the build-up. Because we've been, we've been working through this for weeks. And the nightmare just keeps going on and on and on. But it's the story of us. These are our spiritual ancestors. These were real people like we are. Well, Jacob, he has 12 sons. His favorite sons, all right, there's a problem already. His favorite sons are, uh, you know, they're Benjamin and, of course, Joseph. And then he has, he has 10 more. And he dotes, on, uh, he dotes on Joseph, gives him this multicolored coat. It'd be like giving him a Corvette Stingray or something. And the other guys have to ride horse ponies, you know. He just dotes on him and, and Benjamin. And the ten, the ten brothers are just absolutely, they can't stand this guy. I mean, they literally hate him. And the dad doesn't pick up on it. You know, he, doesn't, he just gives him even more. And he has his brother Joseph go, go report. Tell me how the shepherds are doing. Tell me how your brothers are doing. And Joseph comes back giving bad reports. Well, they're doing this. They're smoking or drinking or whatever. He just gives bad reports. So they hate him even more. One day, they've had enough. They see him coming, and they say, we're done with this guy. And so they plan to kill him, dysfunctional. They plan to kill him. And so Reuben goes, the oldest, says, let's don't kill him. Blood on the hands, blood on our hands, it'll kill dad. Let's just throw him in, I don't know, throw him in this pit over here, a cistern. And so they do, they throw him in the pit. Reuben thinks, I'm going to get him out and send him back to his father, not my, his father. Reuben, um, um, Judah rather, the fourth kid, the, 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 the son that Jesus ultimately comes out of. Judah says, you know, guys, um, he's in the pit. We're going to kill him, but let's don't kill him. Let's at least make some money off this. So they sold him to these Midianites who were going down to uh, to Egypt. So now we're now we're dealing with human trafficking. They sold him into slavery. I mean, is it ever going to end? So they take his multicolored coat, throw him in a pit, take his multicolored coat, kill a goat, douse his uh, multicolored jacket in um, in blood, take it back to the dad, and there you're special. Whose coat is this, Dad? Duh. Well, it's it's my son, so it just breaks his heart. They seem to be okay with it, and the dad just absolutely falls apart. And so, suddenly, there's this 22-year period where Jacob does not have his son. Suddenly, there's a famine in the area. The world is starving, and so they find out that there is food in Egypt. So, I'm going to pick up the story now. We've been dealing with Joseph the entire time. So now, now we want to pick up and finish the this, this sermon this morning with Jacob's story. Jacob's side of this thing. Again, we've been through Joseph. Remember Joseph, he was taken out and sold to the Midianites and, and sold to Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife came on to him and he said no. She grabbed his coat, ripped it off, and she is scorned and says, uh, I'll, get back, I'll, get, I'll get you back and so when her husband comes home, she says, this Hebrew you brought into the house, tried to, he tried to rape me. And so Joseph gets thrown in prison. All right, let's leave that right there. And so Jacob sends his boys to, um, to go get some food. And so they get, they get up to Egypt and the prime minister who, who is selling the food, the prime minister of Egypt, he sees them and recognizes these dudes. They don't recognize him. He recognizes them. And says, you guys are spies. Now see, now Joseph is playing with his brothers like a mouse, like a cat and mouse game. I don't know if that's familiar here. Cat and mouse, the mouse, cat's found a mouse. Before he eats him, he gets kind of plays with him a little bit, terrifies him, you know, before he eats him. So he's playing cat and mouse here. We don't know if he's enjoying this or he's trying to find out information. We just don't really know. But it is terrifying to these young men. Because whenever... Um, he said that you're spies. And so I'm going to, I'm going to lock one of you up. And so he locked Simeon up, the second born locked Simeon up and said, you go get your younger brother. Cause he said, do you have any brothers? How's your father getting information? He says, I'm not going to let you uh, have any food until you uh, bring your baby brother back. Well, they go back home and they tell dad, dad, we got to have Benji, you know, Benji, the, 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 the prime minister, he, he thinks we're spies. And Dad just falls apart completely. I mean, he's going, my, my son, Joseph has been eaten by a lion. Simeon is now in an Egyptian prison. And now you want my baby. What the world's going on? He says, no, it's not going to happen. So they starve. They start starving. Finally, Joseph says, okay, we're starving. We're all going to die. Take Benjamin and go get us some food. If I lose my sons, I lose my sons. So they get up there with Benjamin and then get some food and send everybody back. And the prime minister has put his own special cup into Benjamin's bag of food. On their way back home with the food and with Benjamin, the guards come, find the cup in the bag. And now Benjamin is arrested Reuben falls completely apart. No, no, this, uh, no, please, no, just take me, kill me. We're not going, I'm not going to face my dad again. I'm not going to face him saying, now, Benjamin, because I pledge my two sons to be killed if I don't bring Benjamin back. I mean, do you see all this dysfunction that's going on? Finally, the prime minister cannot handle it anymore because Reuben says, my dad will die if I don't bring Benjamin back. I mean, we just can't do this to my dad. And they're talking to each other, and as they talk in Hebrew to each other, off and on, they're going, this, they're talking in Hebrew, thinking that the Prime Minister doesn't understand what they're talking about. And they say, We have done this to ourselves. This is all about God bringing justice, and now our, the blood of our brother is on our heads. And here, God is taking, giving justice to us that we deserve. So they're just torturing themselves because of what they have done. Finally, Prime Minister can't take it anymore. He says, guys, he takes off his Egyptian hat. That's what I call it. You know, those Egyptian hat things. And takes off all of his makeup because they were all done up in makeup. And says, it's me, Joseph. if I were them, I would have run. That's what I'd have done. I'd have just taken off. 22 years. So he says go home and get your dad, our dad and bring him back here now folks with all of my heart I believe that was the longest ride they have ever taken in their lives they got to go get daddy and tell them that Joseph is alive you with me? how are we going to explain what has happened here they get finally get down there dad you're not going to believe this dad's going where's Benjamin? where's Benjamin? dad chill we're good we got something to tell you. Sit down. Lay down. Have a drink. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he said that, but <clears throat> I can't believe I said that. But um, Joseph is alive, and not only is he alive, but he's successful. Not only is he successful, but he's the prime minister of Egypt. And Joseph is. Go, uh, Jacob is going. The words that he was stunned. And that Hebrew word means his heart was numb. He was totally numb. I can't believe what, I can't believe what I'm hearing. And they said, well, look at all these lorries here that they sent to pack up our stuff. They're brand new lorries, brand new pickup trucks. Let's just put everything in it and, and let's just let's talk about it on the way up. I'll guarantee you that the ride up was worse than the ride down because they're with dad now. And they're going, what's going on here? Now, we don't know what happened. We don't know the discussion. And I can't wait to get to heaven to find out how that went down. I am just serious. I cannot wait. Reuben's going, no, I told him, Dad. Don't kill him. I told him, Dad. And And Judah goes, well, I said, let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him. You sold your brother. I mean, it was awful. It was terrible. But that's called the wages of sin is what that's called. The wages of sin is death. And they were dying going all the way up there. Now, all that's the, all that's the, I know I spent half the sermon catching us up, but I think it's worth it to go through it again, because that, th- these are stories of who we are. This is the kind of stuff we do. Well, I didn't kill anybody. What well, Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. So we're all in this story. He's. And I know God wrote the Bible because I'd have never put this kind of stuff in there. A human being would have never put this stuff in the Bible. I mean, let's just kind of cover that up. And listen, if you want to, I can't even talk about the kind of stuff that these men were involved in. Andy's been through it, Connor has mentioned some of it, the kind of junk that these young men have been involved in in their lives, that their dad, just, I mean, Simeon and Levi killed off a, a whole village just because. Their sister was was raped. Now, yes, that was horrible, but you don't go kill the entire village. On and on and on and on. Finally, okay. So dad is finally in Egypt. He's in Ramesses, the city of Ramesses. And uh, Pharaoh is waiting to see this incredible man that has produced this Joseph guy who can interpret dreams and who has saved the world from dying. I mean, i got to see this guy. And so Jacob comes in. There's Pharaoh. Jacob comes in, and he says... And he says these words, Pharaoh said to him, Pharaoh said to him, how, uh, let me find find it. They keep moving it. So Jacob said to Pharaoh, Jacob said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? This is in verse eight of 47. How many years have you lived? Now get this folks. Now that we've had the build up, now we're coming to, I think the most painful, the most insightful one of the two or three most painful, let me go back to painful, painful verses in Scripture. It doesn't look like it at first, but let's look at it. Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojournings, in verse 9, are 130. And then he starts, he says, few. Now his dad had lived 180. He's 130. You're thinking, well, 130? 130? No, no, no. They just live longer, okay? It's just genetic. They just live longer, okay, back then. His dad died at 180. Isaac died at 180. And he says, I'm 130. But when he said, few, what he was saying there is, I'm just about dead. I don't want to live anymore. I'm done. I mean, this what I've just found out about my sons, I don't even want to live anymore. So he was saying, I should be happy. We should be partying down because Joseph's the prime minister but I've done without my son for 22 years. And my sons did it to my son, to me, to our family, and they've kept it quiet all these years. And then he says, not only are they few, but he says their New American Standard says unpleasant. Uh, Connor read a version that said difficult. Rohim in Hebrew means difficult. Evil. That's the word here. It's evil. In other words, I look back on my life and I just see some evil stuff in it. And I look back on my life and I think about I think about Abraham lying and that that, that doesn't define Abraham. But I I think back to that story and then to my grandfather lying about you know about uh, Rebecca and then I think about my wife stealing the the, the idols and then I think about me stealing. You see, he's looking back on all this traditional stuff that just doesn't fit in a godly family, a godly life. And Connor, if we could put up their family tradition, let's put up destructive, there are some destructive family traditions that we inherit. And sometimes we don't even know about it. But it's harmful. And in, in, in the South where I was born, the racial tension, you we grow up with it and you don't even know you're racial except t- t- when you start realizing that, that, you know, my friends won't talk to those people and that's just the way we were raised. Well, you're going, why don't we talk to them? Well, we just don't and we don't know why because there's an evil thing called racism in, that, that we grew up with. Sexual harassment, words that we use, greed—that's—that's that's systemic. All right, so there are there are there are destructive family traditions, and I was gonna I was gonna start this whole sermon off on, a, and I'll just go ahead and plug it in right now. But there's this song called "Family Traditions" by Hank Williams Jr. Now Hank Williams, anybody ever heard of Hank Williams? No. All right, I, t- I know how old y'all are. I- they wrote these, He wrote these incredible songs. It's just like, uh, You're Cheating Heart, and uh, I'll Fly Away. Not I'll Fly Away, but um, Wings of a, uh, I Saw the Light. Uh, I Can't Help. Uh, uh, anyway, it's just some great songs. Heartbreaking songs. And he abused alcohol. He was a womanizer and all this. Died at 29. His son, Hank Williams Jr., he starts playing music. He was raised in all that stuff. And he starts tearing his life up. And everybody's coming to him say, Hank, why in the world? And he wrote a song called Family Traditions. If you go, don't please don't pull it up now, okay? That would be rude. But um, uh, listen to that song later on. And he's going, he's basically going, guys, wait a minute. Why are you fussing at me for tearing my life up? You love my daddy's music, and he was a drunk and a womanizer, and it was okay for him. I'm just doing. It's just a family tradition, and it's making me a lot of money. <laughs> it's just what I know. So I, I wanted us together as a body of Christ. Are there family traditions in my family that, you know, God would you would you help me understand? Our, just, because, just because we do these things does not necessarily mean they're right. There's a there's a tribe um, there's a tribe um, of and I don't even want to say where it where they are, but there's a tribe somewhere that does uh, 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 surgeries on young girls to keep them from experiencing pleasure. And my sister was a missionary in that, in that area, and she said, guys, this is wrong. You can't do this to these babies. And she said, the Bible says that, you, that the body is God's temple, and you can't be doing this. So the gospel spoke into that and changed that bad system. There's this thing that the Chinese used to do, which was binding little girls' feet to where they would cripple. I mean, the little girls' feet would be that, that long, and they would be adults, and they would cripple them. All because an emperor one day said, I like the little dancer with the little feet. Well, they thought they should all have little feet from then on. And it wasn't until the 1950s that missionaries stopped that horrible thing. You see these traditions that we have that we just think are normal? And so I'm asking us as we look at this. Jacob is, when when Pharaoh said, how old are you, old man? You know, just to say, "How, how you doing, buddy, you know? Boy, it hit hit Jacob like a ton of bricks. He goes, my God, what have I done to my family? What have I done to make my boys think it's okay to sell their brother? For probably 20 pounds is what they got for for the brother, 20 pounds. And I can never get these tears back that I have shed. I can never get these times back through these moments in his life. They're gone. My God. What have I done? I don't know. Would you look at your life and seriously ask God, Lord, is there anything I've, anything I've inherited? You know, like, um, well, the church is just full of Hypocrites. Well, I'd rather go to church with a few of them than to hell with all of them, right? Think about that just a little bit. <laughs> you know, yeah, of course there's hypocrites in the church. But there's reasons why we don't go to church. I know this preacher that uh, ran off with the secretary. Said, oh, we just don't go to church anymore. And that, and I, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here today. But I'm just saying. I'm just saying there's, there's things that we've inherited and excuses that we have just heard all of our lives that are just wrong. And Jacob is going, my God, what have I done? So I think when he said, my life is full of evil, I think he's saying evil that I've incurred. Evil that i produced in these sons. So I'm sitting in what I have produced. If you've got children this morning, I beg you to look at your traditions. Look at your attitudes. Look at your habits, because a thought turns into an act turns into a habit, turns into a lifestyle, turns into a family tradition. Can I do that again? A thought turns into an act and over time turns into a habit and over time turns into a lifestyle and your children grow up in it and they think, well, this is just how life works. And so many are growing up With the tradition of church is never even a thought, and I'm bringing that up. I mean, you're here, obviously, but I'm bringing that up because you may be living beside somebody who's been brought up in that. And so, as as Linda said and Nush said in their in their prayers and statements, this message is not just for us; it's to take out of here. And I want you to have a broken heart over people who have been born in these traditions that are just absolutely destructive and then there are constructive traditions okay there are constructive now help me with time okay and be honest with me don't be nice 10 minutes. minutes is that oh my goodness all right so there are constructive traditions now the constructive tradition there that we're that we're dealing with is that is that jacob i love preaching at this thing right here we don't do that back home you know i like this I'd like to preach up there sometimes, is what I'd like to do. Now, that would be the bomb, okay? Andy, you can't see me, I'm sure, but I'm talking about this big pulpit thing. That's probably when you got really something serious to say. You stand up there, right? And do your finger like that. So, so, the really good family tradition that Joseph, Jacob was working with, okay? Because people don't go to church, people destruct their bodies with alcohol. I'm not saying they're bad people. They're just, they're just people that are, some of them are stuck in, in drug addiction because of an injury or something. I mean, it, nobody wakes up and says, you know, I think I'll be an alcoholic. Uh, no, I think I'll be a drug addict, you know, or a thief. Nobody does that. You, you get there by small compromises, and small compromise, and the world's being mean and hurtful. And finally, you find yourself on a ledge. And there's no way out. Seriously, we need to go out of here thinking that. It's not us and them. It's we have found Christ, and we certainly want to share Christ. Because there are people on a ledge. There are people on a limb. And they're sawing the limb, standing on the limb and sawing it off and don't even know it. Little children are going to adopt these horribly destructive family traditions. But the excellent family tradition that Jacob enjoyed, which may have given him some of these destructive ones, was that his grandfather Abraham actually heard God's voice and the scripture keeps saying that God appeared to Abraham. And I know this scripture, nobody's ever seen God's face. I get all that, but still it says he appeared to Abraham and, and said, I'm going to make a... A huge nation out of you. I know your wife's barren, but just leave that to me. You know. And, and his his son, Isaac, God spoke to Isaac. Well, God was speaking to Jacob. Can you imagine being in that rock star group? You know, like Hank Williams and Hank Jr. and all those guys. Hey, it's a family tradition. We make music, people give us millions of dollars. We make music, they give us millions of dollars. So I guess whatever I'm doing is right. Maybe Jacob was so close to these men who heard God that he was maybe flying a little bit under the radar. You know, I could, God's going to speak to me and I can fly under the radar. Connor, don't put under the radar up yet, brother. I know you heard it, but we got, we got something going here. Uh, that's coming a little, just a little bit later. I'm going to wrap it up. <clears throat> but so the constructive traditions are I'm in a line of guys that hear from God and see God, and that's great. I mean, how many people hear from God? Not many of them were spoken to. Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the evening with him. Noah heard from God build this big boat because it's going to rain really hard. Nobody had ever seen rain. And they're going, a boat? Uh, what's a boat? He just did it anyway. And then we come to Abraham where God's talking to him. We come to Isaac, God's talking to him. We come to Jacob, God's talking to him. And so he's probably saying, so I can just pretty much do anything I want to. See, I'm a preacher's kid. And I thought, you know, I'm a preacher's kid, so I can do all the kind of stuff I want to do. And when I die, God's going to see me and say, Terry, quick, come on in, boy. Your, your dad was a, a great preacher. You come on in here, son. No not going to happen that way. And my dad was preaching one time, and I was nine years old, and he said, I don't care if your dad's Billy Graham or the Pope. He even said, I don't care. The Pope wouldn't have a son. not supposed to. But anyway, I I don't know why I said that. (laughs) Can we strike that from the record? (laughs) There were some Popes, I think. But anyway, gosh, I can't believe that. I know Andy's laughing when he hears this tape. All right. I don't care if your dad's Billy Graham, when he sees you, he's going to say, Terry, what did you do with Jesus Christ, my son? And, and if I say, well, uh, yeah, I like Jesus. He's cool. Um, I mean, no, did you ever re- repent of your sins and invite him into your heart? Well, Lord, no, I, you know, religion's a private. Th- no, it's not private. That's one of those traditions that you've got that is not true. It's not private. Hell is not a private subject. Heaven is not a private subject. It is very public. And it's going to be very long. It's very real. And so I was flying under the radar. I was doing all this stuff and this junk and this, you know, that kids do with deacons' kids and stuff. And and Later on, it nearly wrecked my life. I did come to Christ at nine years old, but then I did not get serious with discipleship, and I took off into drugs and alcohol, and it nearly killed me. So I had a great family tradition because my dad's a preacher, but I thought I could fly under the radar and do whatever, and it wouldn't matter, and it nearly killed me. So I want you to develop and search your life lord are we developing good family tradition are we not just going to church but i'm talking about really loving christ you know and having the kind of life where your life your your, your relationship with christ is evident don't let it be one of the best kept secrets in your life <gasps> y'all go to church we've been working 10 years together and i didn't know you go- no that should never happen I don't walk in the office, you know, with your hands in the air and you know on all this stuff and carrying them. No, he's not saying do that. But I'm saying your family tradition of of really loving Jesus and reading his word and listening to it and then and then acting on it. You read God's word, he's gonna bring it up when there's a problem. You don't read God's word, you don't worship with his people, you're gonna walk right in to quicksand to to quicksand, into quagmires, and the jungles that you have no business being in. The Holy Spirit of God in your life as you read and as you worship and as you obey is to warn you. You do not need to be in that relationship. You do not need to be in that discussion. You need to stay away from that. That's the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. That's the spiritual nervous system. I mean, I hate it when I burn my hands, but I'm glad I've got a nervous system because I wouldn't know I had my hand on the stove until I started smelling burning flesh, right? What's that smell? Oh, it's my hand down to the bone. No. I hate being burned, but the Holy Spirit of God in you says, Hey, Terry, we both know that's wrong. Let's get it right. Let's get it right. Satan says, you call yourself a Christian? See, Satan condemns. The Holy Spirit points out. And like a father to a child. Now, come on. Let's back away from that. Don't be playing with that rattlesnake. That's who the Holy Spirit of God is. That's that's the kind of family tradition that God wants you to have. And then there's the last one. We're already, see, constructive. And then there's corrective traditions. You might be saying, well, I was born this way. That is no excuse for the Christian. Listen to me. Listen to me. I've had people come up to me in my church say, well preacher, now you know, you know how I am. You know I just tell it like it is. And you know what I have I have finally learned to say I do. I do, ma'am. But I also know that Christ died on the cross to stop to change that in your life. So you don't don't give me that excuse anymore. I know I seem like a nice guy, but man, when you get me when you start on that kind of stuff and you're wrecking a church with your wagging tongue and you're gossiping and stuff like, well, you know how I am. I was raised that well Jesus died on an old rugged cross, shed his blood, has given you the Holy Spirit, and and has called you out on that. So if you're still wagging your tongue, and you're still selfish, and you're still the way you were when you were born, then you've not received Christ into your heart, or you're just flat out being disobedient. Wow, sounds like I'm mad, doesn't it? I'm not. I'm not, um, I'm out of time. All right. There are destructive family traditions that I pray the Holy Spirit will bring to the top. There are constructive family traditions that God wants us to enjoy and to develop. There are corrective family traditions that God wants us to adopt. And my prayer is that you would start calling out to God for those now the very best family tradition and this is in conclusion the very best thing that you can do folks to start a family tradition that will change your life and the lives of everybody around you is to accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your savior probably a debilitating destructive family tradition is thinking well I was raised in church so I must be okay that will, that will kill you that, that's going to send a lot of people to hell. Being, being born in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being born in McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Okay? I'm serious. very best thing you can do, if you, if you don't know that you know that, you're, that you are saved and that the Holy Spirit of God is in you, Jesus, I surrender my life, my heart to you very best family tradition you can do is to start it that way. And then to abide in Christ. Read His Word. Be a part of this family. Not just sit in a pew, but pick up a job somewhere. Get involved in a ministry. And then you start doing these things that the Holy Spirit of God is showing you in Scripture. He doesn't want us to like a battery that just gets charged but never discharged. Because we will fry up. He wants us to discharge by Giving our lives into ministries of some kind. Prayer ministry or handing out bullet, bulletins or, or whatever. Just grab you a job. Pastor, what do you need? What do you want? How can I serve? And the Holy Spirit of God will begin filling your life with even more purpose. than even more purpose. And my prayer is that we would go out of this building passionate to share the love of Jesus Christ because of what he's done to you. Done for you. Let me explain the cross and I'll be done. Here's what Jesus, to become a Christian, you've got to understand the cross. A lot of people think, well the cross is just, Jesus died for what he believed in. Not. That's not why he died. He died in your place to pay your sin debt. And Jesus finds us on a railroad track, tied at the head and tied at the hands, and He unties the head. Well, first He says, do you want off the track? And we say, well, you know, religion's a private thing. Okay. But if we say, please get me off this track, the train that's coming see His death, he unties, if you say, yes, Lord, He unties your head, He unties your feet, He lifts you off the track and puts you off the track and takes the train right in the face. That's exactly what Jesus does on the cross. That's what the cross is about. And that's the message we need to share with people. Don't be afraid. Well, they'll get a- No, no, no. Your responsibility is to share the gospel. Jesus was born God in the flesh. He died a substitutionary death in your place. And he was raised to dead on the third day to save you of your sins. If you will trust that he died in your place and receive him into your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together. Thank you for Joseph, oh God. Thank you for Joseph who, like you, saved the world from starving. You are the bread of life. Like Joseph uh, uh, interpreted the dream to provide food for so many. And and provided food to save uh, his brother Judah, who you ultimately came out of that lineage. Because you promised Abraham, I will bless all families through you and through Isaac and through Jacob through Judah, and then through that lineage, Jesus came to provide everybody in the world an opportunity to be forgiven and to become born again and to be filled with your Spirit and know your purpose and tell others about it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.